God to allow it to speak to our hearts, for God to instruct us and to um, encourage us so that we can go out and be his people. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 68. And what this is, is the words of um, Zechariah, who was the father of John, uh, who was to become John the Baptist. And these are the words that Zechariah spoke at the birth of his son. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the word of God. Remain standing then for the song that follows. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets of old, of old that we should be sta- saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, today we don't have a sermon. We have a story. This is the first story that Luke tells us in his gospel. As he begins to write this account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to his friend Theophilus, he feels like that this is the first story that Theophilus needs to hear. It's a familiar story, but not quite as well known as the next story. The next story is going to be about the birth of Jesus. Now, that story is very relevant. It's relevant to us all the time, and it's a story that over the next few weeks we're going to be hearing quite often, uh, not only in church, but in other settings as well. But what we need to hear before we hear that story is the story of the birth of John, later known as John the Baptist, the one who was sent before Jesus to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming of the Lord. Well, his story still functions in that way. Just as he needed to be born to prepare those people's hearts for the birth of Jesus, then we need to hear his story again, because through his story, he is able to pave the way. And not only in this season of the year, but at any time of the year, to open our hearts so that we can truly receive with joy and gladness the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the story begins, we meet one of the sweetest couples that you will ever know, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, and thus the son and grandson and great-grandson and on back all the way of priests as well. Elizabeth was the daughter of a priest. She grew up in a priest household, and she knew what that was all about, And I no doubt her parents were delighted 
whenever she and Zechariah married. Here we have a priest, the daughter of a priest, and what a wonderful home they had. In fact, they were so good. Listen to the way the Bible describes them. They said, they were both righteous before God and lived blamelessly in all the commandments that the Lord had given. They did it right. They did it the way it should be done. Now, they had obviously had a great life together. And if we were able to talk with them and ask them about their life, they'd say, you know, it has just been storybook. And now they're growing old together. However, one sadness in their lives. They had never been able to have children. Now, we know that they wanted children. We know that from the way the story is told. We also know, based on the fact that, that they were a priestly family, and, and the way that the covenant was to be perpetuated was through the birth of children. And the family name was carried on, and therefore the family's place within the covenant of God was ensured. Of course, on another level, it was necessary to have children then because that was social security. That was the way that you were provided for in your older age was through your children. And then just on a human level, we just know that they had missed having the delight of children in their home. Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in a small town in the Judean countryside. And Zechariah, though, would have to go to Jerusalem and spend a week twice a year. Now, the Mishnah, do you know what the Mishnah is? The Mishnah is a collection of Jewish teachings and practices that we have from back during that time. It does a little more explanation as to what actually is going on here. The priesthood was divided into 24 groups. And each one of those groups of priests were required to go and to be on call and on duty in Jerusalem in the temple for a week twice each year. Now, the rest of the time, they lived in their hometown. They did the duties of a priest there amongst their people. But for those two times a year, they packed up and went to Jerusalem. And there they officiated in the grand ceremonies of the temple. So as our story opens, we find that that is exactly what Zechariah is doing. Now, one of the, the duties of the priest in the temple was that once a day, he offered incense in the sanctuary, in the holy place. Now, this was quite a ceremony. Hundreds of people would gather in the courtyard of the temple, and they would watch as the priest stood there before the great door of the sanctuary, holding the, the, the censer with the incense in it. And then the door would open, and in he would walk into the sanctuary, into the presence of God. And there the incense representing the prayers of the people would be offered before God, out of sight of the crowd, because only the priests could enter into that room. And then the priest would emerge from the sanctuary. And the people would look up expectantly, and he would raise his hand, and he would pronounce the priestly blessing upon the people. He would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you grace. 
Now, this was kind of the highlight of the day's service of the temple. This was the time when the people wanted to be there. To know that their prayers had been taken in and in the form of the incense had been offered before God. And then to stand there and have this one who had been in the presence of God stand before them and place the name of the Lord upon them. It was also a great honor to get to be the priest who did that. One thing we find out from the Mishnah is that the way they chose the priest who carried the incense into the sanctuary was that they would all gather up and they would take the names of the priest who had not yet gotten to do that. The priest who had never entered the sanctuary before. And they would write them on little pieces of pottery, little shards of pottery. And they would put them then into a bowl and names would be drawn. And that was how that priest was selected then to go in. And so since it was done in that way, it was really kind of a once-in-a-lifetime honor to get to go into the sanctuary and offer the incense before the Lord. Which brings up another thing about Zechariah that I just kind of wonder about. Zechariah obviously was a better man than I just from reading the account of his life. You think, wow, he's quite a man. And maybe he had uh, a better ego than, than I do, but you know, how would you like to be someone that's an older priest and your name has never been drawn? You, know, you, you go there and year after year they keep drawing names and here are these young priests that it's their first time there and their name's drawn and they get to go in. And his name had never been drawn. He had never entered the sanctuary of the Lord in the temple. All these years of service, you know that it was something that he had to want to do. He wanted to look forward to that time when he got to go in. And even though it had been described to him and he had practiced the ceremony, he knew what to do if he ever got his name called, he had never been asked. But this time, Just imagine him sitting there as the names are drawn and read out. And finally, the one holding the piece of pottery says, Zechariah. You know, if he had had an iPhone, the first thing he would have done was call Elizabeth and say, guess what? (laughs) Finally, finally, I'm going to get to go into the sanctuary. Finally, I will get to offer the incense before the Lord. So the big day came, and they put on him the priestly garments of the one entering the sanctuary. They handed him the incense, and I just know what was going through his mind. Even though he had said many times, the Lord bless you and keep you. You know, he's thinking, okay, what do I say? What do I do? Just like I do right before I get up, I'm going, Lord, do I know what I'm going to say or not? You know, just going, it's like someone leading the Star Spangled Banner They get up and they start singing it and they've sung it thousands of times before and then all of a sudden, forget the words. So he's getting all ready, he's getting all prepped and then he stands there before the door and the door opens and into that dimly lit room he walks into the presence of God, seeing the altar for the first time and the door closes behind him. And he begins to go through the ceremony of offering the incense. And then all of a sudden, he realizes there's someone else in there. Don't you just hate it when you go to church and God shows up? 
There's the angel, Gabriel, in all his majesty, all his glory, standing beside the altar of God. Well, Scripture tells us that Zechariah was terrified, that he was shaking with fear, as I would be too. And that's when the angel then speaks to him and he says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard or your prayer has been remembered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. Okay. When I read that, it kind of hit me. I wonder when the last time Zechariah had prayed for a son. You know? Now, obviously, when they first got married, they were wanting children. And they were expecting children to come along quickly as they had for their friends. No children. You know that they began praying about this matter just from the kind of people they were. And no doubt, Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed fervently that they might have a child. But time had gone by. Years had gone by. No child had arrived. Now, perhaps Zechariah was such a faithful man that he had continued that prayer. But I just wonder if maybe he hadn't gotten to the point where he thought, you know, it's just too late. It's not going to happen. That's why I think it's so significant that Gabriel says to him, you may have forgotten. God has remembered your prayer. By the way, does anyone in here know what Zechariah means? Don Horner does. He was in first service. (laughs) Zechariah means... God has remembered. Isn't that marvelous? Well, we need to hear that. We need to constantly be reminded that while our mind goes on to other things and our minds change and we do this and that and think about this and that, God remembers. And when we take something before Him, He doesn't take it lightly. He knows. Now, that's also why another great truth we need to remember ourselves was found in Psalm 27. And the reason we read Psalm 27 is because we were going to get to this point in this lesson. Twice in that psalm, you were called upon to say, do you remember? Wait for the Lord. And this beautiful story of Zechariah and Elizabeth reminds us once again that we are to trust, we are to wait, because we truly do have a God who remembers. Well, the angel goes on to say, you will have a child, it'll be a boy, and you are to name him John. And he will bring great joy to you and to everyone around you. You are to dedicate him as a Nazarite, That's a special vow that really the parents of a child made and then the child adopted as the child grew up of a special dedication to the Lord. And the sign for that was they were never to drink alcohol. They were never to cut their hair. They were never to shave their beards. They were to be dedicated totally to the Lord. The angel says, and he will be filled with the Spirit and his whole purpose is to go before the Lord and to prepare the way for him. Now, if you have your Bibles open, I'd like for you to look at verse 16 of chapter 1 of Luke. 
Because embedded in the rest of what the angel said to Zechariah at that time is a wonderful definition of salvation. This is a wonderful explanation of what it means to be saved. Too often we just think of being saved means that we won't go to hell when we die. Well, that's a part of salvation. But this little conversation between uh, uh, the angel Gabriel and Zechariah enlarges that and helps us to understand more what does it mean? What is this salvation all about? What is it that the Lord is going to bring to us? The first thing that it says in verse 16 is that he will turn the people of Israel to God. In other words, he will cause people to give their hearts to God. He will call upon people to trust God. Now, this is a major theme of the Gospel of Luke. If if you read your Bibles often, you know that the biblical writers like to introduce their major themes right at the beginning of their work, whether it's a letter of Paul or a gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can always find what they want to talk about right at the very beginning. Well, here it is. Because for Luke, what he wants us to know is that salvation means that we can trust God, that we can stand before him just as we are, whether we're Zacchaeus or blind Bartimaeus, or all these characters that are about to march across the stage, or whether it's you or me, we don't have to hide who we are. We don't have to be ashamed of who we are. We can stand before Him trusting Him that He will be gentle with us, that He will love us, that yes, He sees our faults, yes, He sees our failings, but what He brings to our faults and failings is forgiveness and mercy and love and kindness and tenderness and not condemnation. So one of the main things that Jesus was coming to do was to let us know that God is trustworthy. God remembers us. God knows us. We can trust Him with who we are. We don't have to play games with Him. I don't know. Sometimes I become too autobiographical up here, I know. Maybe none of the rest of you do this, but I find myself at times playing games with God kind of hiding part of who I am and not wanting him to see that when that's the very part he wants me to bring out and say, there it is. And trust that like, just like like Brian was talking about, that the angel did for Isaiah, that he will touch that part of our lives and heal that part of our lives rather than condemning us for that part of our lives. He goes on to say that the Lord will also reconcile us to one another. Very beautiful phrase here. He says, he will turn the hearts of parents to their children. And that's just shorthand for bringing together these fractured relationships that we have and reaching out and realizing that all of us are flawed and all of us have struggles, but all of us are family. We're all children of God. We've all been treated, we've all been created by him. And therefore, we are called to hold on to each other and to love each other. And then finally, he says, and he will also call the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. 
Now, I love that. That's kind of funny language. You have to unpack it. But what he's basically saying is he will make us aware that the way to live in this life is a righteous life, that those who are, are righteous are wise, that there are many ways in this life we can live. We can choose to go do this or be this. But if you really, really, really want to enjoy life and get the most out of life, if you want to lead, lead a saved life, a whole life, then it's the way of righteousness that will get you there. Uh, isn't that a marvelous little conversation there? So densely packed. But just in those few words that Gabriel spoke to Zechariah, he has told Zechariah what the Lord is coming to do. Well, we've got to hurry on. Zechariah then um, quotes Abraham. He says, how can I be sure these things are going to happen? How will I know this is so? Now, maybe that's okay. Abraham got away with that. But Zechariah continues and he says, After all, I am old. <laughs> uh, have you ever played that little joke on someone when they say, Hi, I'm hungry or I'm, 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 I'm tired. And you say, Well, hi, tired. I'm Tommy. You know that little playful joke? It's funny when you do it. It's not that funny when someone else does it to you. But Gabriel does that to Zechariah. And it's not funny at all. Because Zechariah says, I'm old. Gabriel says, pleased to meet you, old. I'm Gabriel. And I was sent by God to give you this message. And you're supposed to accept this message. And since you are doubting and since you are not accepting it, we're going to hit the mute button on you for nine months. You will not be able to speak for all the time that you are waiting for this child to be born. And if we keep reading the story, evidently he also was deaf as well. Total silence for nine months. Now wrap your mind around that one. You don't hear anything. You can't say anything. Got to thinking, maybe Zachariah had been a little too talkative. I'm glad God doesn't do this to me when I get to be too talkative. Although some of you might be praying for that right now. You're going to have nine months to think about this. Nine months to be totally focused on what is about to happen. Well, finally, Zechariah emerged from the sanctuary. And as the door was opened and he was kind of stumbling out, dazed about all that had happened, all the eyes of the people who had gathered there in the uh, temple courtyard were raised to him, expecting to hear, the Lord bless you and keep you. And instead they got, you know, quite a sight. Kind of an awkward moment. But then they began to talk and said, something happened to him in there. Zechariah goes home. Says in those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. For five months, she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Well, let's fast forward. We're quickly running out of time here. Let's fast forward nine months. The baby is born. It is a little boy. Everybody's happy about this. 
On the eighth day of the baby's life, he's brought to the naming ceremony where the baby is circumcised and he's given his name. And it's the father's job to name the child. Because after all, uh, that's just the way things work. Well, the father, one thing by naming the child, he, he recognized the child as his own. He said, this is, is my son. Well, obviously, Zechariah was still going, you know, can't talk, can't talk. And so they looked to uh, the, the, the family, and the family's discussing, well, let's just name him Zechariah after his dad. I mean, that was done quite a bit. So let's just give him Zechariah for a name. Elizabeth spoke up and said, no, his name shall be John. Well, they said, no one in your family is named John. We're not going to name this boy John. Well, in the meantime, Zachariah's motioning, and they're motioning to him, like, what do you want to name the kid? What do you want to name the kid? So he takes a writing tablet, probably a wax tablet or maybe, maybe soft clay, and he begins to write in it, and he writes, his name is John. And at that moment then, his tongue is freed. And out of nine months of silent meditation and prayer, he begins to praise God. And the first things he says are about the Lord that God is about to send. And guess what he keeps saying? God has remembered. God has remembered. The Lord has remembered the covenant that he made. The Lord has remembered the promises that he made, that he is going to deliver us from our enemies, all our frustrations, and that we'll be able to walk in his ways and to serve him all the days of our lives. And after he says that, then he picks up that little boy. It doesn't say that there, but I know he did. He picks up that little boy, and he looks at him, and he says, And you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. We talked a moment ago about salvation. John came to let us know it can really happen, that we can experience salvation. We experience it through the forgiveness of our sins. And listen how he goes on to describe this. Just just listen to this marvelous description of what still can happen in your life as you turn your heart to the Lord, as you turn your heart to others, as you see the wisdom in living a righteous life before God. It says, By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. It's just like you're sitting there and it's dark and all of a sudden, the sun comes up. All of a sudden, your life that was lived in darkness, for those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, light dawns and you say, yes, yes, God truly does save to lead us and to guide us in the ways of peace. Well, that's the story. How does our story intersect this story? Well, for one thing, we all came to church today. I think most of you here are not. Some of you have nodded off, but there, okay, yeah. We all came to church today, not expecting maybe a lot to happen. But guess what? The Lord is here. He truly is here. And He is wanting us to prepare our hearts to receive the marvelous gift that He has given He wants us to truly hunger for Him and to realize that we can trust Him, that we can be who we are in His presence 
and He will heal, and he will, he will touch us with His salvation, that He will forgive, that His tender mercy will come into our lives, that He's here to help us to heal the relationships in our lives, that our hearts may be turned one to another, and to give us the strength to leave this place and to walk in the ways of righteousness. The story of John the Baptist reminds us to open our hearts one more time. For this just may be the time that the dawn will break above us and those of us who are sitting in darkness will live in light and those of us who sit in the shadow of death will find that we are alive again. Let's stand and sing.